Hey everyone, welcome to Active and Connected Families. This week we're going to be talking about sleep with certified pediatric sleep coach Allison Edgity of sleepandwellnesscoach.com. Sleep is essential for anybody's ability to focus, remember things, solve problems, manage emotions, feel good, and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you all had children, so you all know this for yourself. But also, as a child psychologist, when kids come to me having meltdowns or having trouble following directions, or if they're really irritable and grumpy or worried, the very first thing I do is walk through a sleep plan with the family. Good sleep is one of the best things we can do to promote our kids and also our ability to learn, grow, and be healthy. So today, Allison is going to talk with us about the basics for elementary school kids. And you all, she gets her kids down pretty early, like 7.30 or 8. And we talk about how she makes this incredible feat happen. She also said something pretty interesting, which is that most families feel embarrassed by the way sleep is going in their homes. So I'm going to normalize it all for you as I tell Allison about how my elementary schoolers sleep and she makes me feel totally unjudged and you all are going to see the underside of my family. And if you're listening to this and also have a middle schooler, go ahead and take a listen to last week's podcast about supporting teens as they apply to college with Margaret Bodenay. Both Allison and Margaret highlight the ways in which we empower our children to develop independently versus the overparenting that we see in so many families today. Allowing kids time to reflect on their wants and helping them develop plans to get there is essential to the health and well-being of our children as they develop into adults. And it's cool to see this theme emerge among experts in both young kids and also experts in older adolescents. Both are teaching parents how to let their kids put thought into who their kids want to be and helping them develop strategies and plans to get there. It is very kid-driven, very independent-driven. As always, if you like this podcast, subscribe at the top of your feed. It really helps keep this podcast going, so we truly appreciate it. Have a great day, y'all. Active and Connected Families is a smart, relatable conversation with me, Dr. Amanda Sovic-Johnston, child psychologist, mother of three, and entrepreneur. I've spent my career providing family therapy and supporting high-achieving mothers, and maybe even more hours with my girlfriends trying to figure out how we can all feel more confident in our work and our relationships. And you all, there's one thing I've noticed. We're all struggling in some of the same places, and we're all looking for some down-to-earth advice that we can actually use. So on Active and Connected Families, I'll share some of the insights I've learned, strategies for those daily fights about laundry, some expert perspective on the bigger issues like the mental health crisis, and me chatting with my therapist friends about how we can all feel a little more active and connected in our lives. Throughout, I hope to make you laugh at least once, but I know I'll leave you with something that'll help you become a better parent and maybe even person. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Allison, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I am so glad you're here. I have heard so many people talk about you and your work around sleep coaching and helping kids and families sleep. And I have a lot of issues and I know it's important. So I'm glad you're here solely for my own purposes. Well, I'm thrilled to be here and happy to help. So today... I personally want to talk about sleep for elementary age students. I think that it is a 
number one, a lot of parents listening are going to benefit from that because we all know sleep is important for elementary age students, but it's also very important for me. I can't wait to tell you our sleep situation. My husband's going to kill me when I launch into that. So tell me kind of what you're seeing around sleep for elementary age students and what you think parents need to know. Yes. Well, first of all, to make your husband feel better, there's absolutely nothing you could tell me today that I have not heard before. And on that topic, I think a lot of parents are somewhat in hiding on their children's sleep situation because it's one thing when your baby doesn't sleep. Everyone thinks, oh, that's so normal. But then when you get to the older age, it's like, "Uh uh-oh, my child doesn't sleep. I'm not sure what to do about it. And I think it kind of falls into our category of shame we feel awkward and embarrassed about it. So no shame related to the sleep. Not all kids are supernaturally inclined to sleep. So I think that's something that we don't all realize it. I like to compare it to athleticism. So if you've, you have kids, you go out and see those three-year-olds on the soccer field. You think some of these kids popped out of the womb playing soccer. They just get it. No one really had to coach them. And then some kids can run well. Some kids can kick the ball. Some kids refuse to get on the dang field. So you have varying levels of natural talent. And so some kids truly need to learn to sleep well. And so a lot of families I work with, it's not so much that the parents have done anything wrong. It's just that they were dealt a child who doesn't have a lot of natural sleep talent. And unless you put all those puzzle pieces together perfectly, it's going to be a struggle. I think that makes total sense. And I think one of the things that I think about for me, actually, let me just tell you my sleep situation just to normalize everything for everybody listening. Okay. So number one, my husband and I are not great sleepers together. Like I'm one of those people that needs a king size bed. I sleep diagonal. Like he sleeps on a tiny corner. And then like, if I wake up, I'm anxious. I'm going to wake him up. If he wakes up, he's anxious that he's going to wake me up. So we've ultimately divided and conquered and we put another, like he's, he can pretty much sleep in like a double or single bed. So we put another bed in our bedroom. So I've got the king size bed. He's got the single bed. And, and what they say is that that's fine for a marriage, right? Like, isn't that what they say, Allison? Well, I'm not a marriage expert, but I work with plenty of families who have separated so everyone can get sleep separated as far as sleep locations. And I will say there are moments with my own husband where I think, Oh, I remember back when I thought, oh, it's so sad when couples sleep in different rooms. And now sometimes when he's snoring, I think, oh, I see your future, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I see where you might be headed. (laughs) But the research is, is obviously for many marriages, if you're sleeping better, you're a better partner. You're less anxious. You're less depressed. You're less upset. You're less reactive. And so really promoting healthy sleep can really positively impact a marriage. So my husband and I fully took that to heart and we just have two beds. Listen, I want to get my great designer, Heidi Falder, to create some sort of like, I don't know, double headboard where we have matching comforters or something that's in our future. But beyond that, my six-year-old and my nine-year-old both don't sleep great. So we've done a really good job of they're in their rooms for sure. They fall asleep in their rooms. But at any point in the middle of the night, if they wake up, they can come in to our bedroom. So because otherwise I won't sleep, right? Like if I have to get up and go back and deal with them, I'm losing my sleep. So we've created two pallets on the floor where they pop in, they lie on their pallets, they go back to sleep, and we have two dogs. So in my room, there is my husband in a bed, me in a bed, 
two children on the floor and pallets and then two dogs. And there's only one person in my family who does not sleep in our room. And that is the 11 year old. Is that normal? (laughs) Well, I think that falls into the category of if it works for you, and that is legitimately how everyone's getting enough sleep. I think it's fine. So I usually say if it ain't broke, we don't have to fix it. However, There is some power in teaching children that they can sleep independently. I work with parents all the time who say, I'm worried about my child being scared of the dark because I was scared of the dark as a child and I'm still scared of the dark. Mm -hmm. And so some of the power of teaching our children healthy sleep habits is it really can flow through to adulthood and how you feel about living in your own apartment, sleeping by yourself. Not that that's for everyone, but You can kind of help set that stage, but I don't technically think there's anything wrong with that if it's working for you. That stresses me out because I'm a light sleeper, and if people were coming in and out of my room, I'd be up for hours, but that's me. I've told them, you. sometimes they want to be like, mom, 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 I can't sleep, and I'm like, don't do that. Just get in your palate. That's why you have your palate. Do not talk to me. Just hop in. You know what I mean? Totally. My daughter who actually a podcast episode with her just came out, my nine-year-old, and it's on um, this week's podcast for my podcast. But I talked to her about, isn't it true that we can't sleep perfectly all the time? And she says, oh yeah, that's true. And I think that's a really big gift you can give an elementary age child is understanding that sleep's not perfect. I also struggle with my sleep. So I talk to her all the time about Either I got a great night of sleep or I didn't. Why didn't I? I went to bed too late. I played tennis till 10 p.m. I did all these things. And so I talk about my sleep a lot and then I normalize it for her because it's stressful. It's stressful for adults when you wake up and you're like, oh, crap, I'm not going uh-huh. to sleep for two hours. And so trying to normalize it that every night of sleep is not going to be perfect can be very helpful for the elementary age kids. I love that. So, and also let me say one more thing about my sleep situation, just because I feel anxious that I've told the world. And and when I tell my friends this, they're like, you're a psychologist and that's how you're sleeping. And I'm like, oh yeah. But, but here's the thing is that as parents, we can only tackle certain things at certain times, right? And so when we got into that habit, it was actually last January when there was no school for like the entire month of January. And I was exhausted and angry and sad and and protecting my sleep was like the best thing I could have done at that time. And that's how we started that habit. When I have more energy, which should be soon, we'll get back out of it. But it's kind of like knowing where you have enough energy at each time and being able to kind of deal with the sleep issue when you have the energy if you want to. I couldn't agree more. People ask me all the time, when is the best time to sleep train? And that could be whether it's a sleep intervention for elementary age or sleep training the infant. I say it's when it's the best time for you because you're the one that's going to have to have the energy to hold that structure and boundaries. So that's when it's the best time to make a change. Allison, you're really giving me freedom off of like in my life. Thank you. I I feel better. So tell me, what are the basics of elementary age sleeping? Like what? Yeah. What are the basics? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that is not out there enough is how much sleep these little people actually need. And even me, I think of myself back in elementary age, I always had an alarm clock set. I don't think I went to bed crazy late, but I always had to be woken up to go to school. 
Well, what I know now is we really shouldn't have to wake our kids to go to school. Technically, we shouldn't need alarms ourselves either. If you get enough sleep, you should just naturally wake up at a reasonable hour. And so a lot of times kids are going to bed too late and we're having to wake them up to go to school. The other issue with going to bed too late is the second wind kicks in. And it's going to be different for every child, just like it is for every adult. So for example, my second wind kicks in after about 10 p.m. So if I go to bed at 9.45, watch out, I'm likely going to sleep well into the 5.30 to 6.30 window without too much disruption as a sensitive sleeper myself. But if I am up past 10, 10, 15, like watch out world, that second wind's going to kick in. I can stay up till 1 a.m. Yep. So little kids have that too, but it's just much earlier. So when we're talking about the really early elementary age kids, like let's say six, it could happen between 7 and 7.30 that it kicks in. So as a point of reference, my eight-year-old goes to bed between 7 and 7.30. After 7.30, her second wind takes her off. And then my nine-year-old goes to bed around eight. So each child, and they're only 18 months apart, but they, they are a little bit different in their sleep needs. One needs a lot more than the other. But you want to see where is that point where the second wind kicks in. Because if you catch before that, it's easier for them to fall asleep. They're going to fall into a higher quality sleep. And then they're more likely to get quote, enough sleep where we aren't having to wake them in the morning. So are you saying go to bed like that's when they fall asleep or that's when you start the bedtime routines? That's when the lights are out. So 7 and 7.30 for your six-year-old and 8 for your my eight-year-old. Your eight-year-old. My eight-year-old. Yeah. Okay. That's super helpful. One of the things I think many of our listeners are going to be thinking about and that I'm thinking about is I also have an older child. And when you, do you have an older child? I do not. Nine is my oldest. So my, I have an 11, almost 12 year old. And so for him, he, because he's our oldest, he kind of pushes the bedtime back for everyone. You know, we all kind of like make our routines and structures around that oldest child and what that oldest child needs. So when I, so when my oldest was six, he was probably going to sleep at seven. But now I have a six year old who's probably lights are out around 830 ish because everything's pushed back. So do you see that a lot with other families? It is hard because you also, as they get older, they're more likely to have later evening activities. I mean, even my kids have evening activities, but the older they get, I feel like now, I mean, I hear about basketball that ends at 9 p.m. or, you know, really late activities. Uh, You know, generally we try to do divide and conquer as best we can, but we're still man on man for the most part. You have Mm -hmm. three, so you're no longer man on man, you know. As far as I, even with my kids, they're close in age, I just, their needs are different. So I just kind of try to educate my kids that like, yeah, I get that Addison gets to stay up an hour later than you, but she doesn't need as much sleep as you need. And so we just don't do it all at the same time anymore with the, the difference for sleep needs. So I think your trick is probably your activities, but where you can getting the younger two down earlier is going to help for sure. And it's only going to get worse for you because as kids go through puberty, their sleep Mm -hmm. does change, which I'm not an expert in that area. So I like to stay in my lane, but their rhythm does change and they do have a later circadian rhythm. They're more likely to go to bed later, to wake up later. And so that issue is only going to increase over the coming years for you. So, okay. So step one is essentially get our kids more sleep. How, how do you actually make that happen? 
Well, I do think it's helping them understand the value of sleep. It doesn't mean kids have to like sleep. I mean, shoot, sometimes I dread going to bed. It's like my alone time. I have to parent myself and make myself go to bed. And so I try to be empathetic to kids that they don't have to like sleep. But what I do tell them is it's my job as your parent to make sure you get enough sleep. And so I love you so much that I'm going to make sure that happens. And I do help them understand what what happens when you sleep. You grow when you sleep. Your brain remembers what you learn at school when you sleep, which by the way, my kids, I hear about a lot of kids having to study in their grades and my kids don't study. And I don't think it's because they're Einsteins. I think it's because they get a lot of sleep. And so far to date, now granted, they're still little, they have not really had to study because I think they kind of retain what they learn. And I can only really attribute that to sleep. Um, And that their body fights off germs when they sleep. It can help them stay healthier. So we also talk about our attitudes. When I see bad attitudes from not getting enough sleep, I'll say like, oh, I see you're struggling today. I think that may be because we went to movie night last night and we were out till 930. And now we're struggling here this morning. So I try to help them understand it. And then I just hold the structure. So from our um, dinner table, we basically go up and get the routine started. And so my daughter who goes to bed later, she just gets more time to chill in her room. She can chit chat with one of us. She can read a book, but we're kind of starting the wind down process. And I definitely say from dinner on, we're not running around. We're not wrestling. My kids are fairly physical, even though they're girls. We're not playing tag. We're not doing things that are going to turn our bodies back on. And we're not perfect. So when those things happen, and then it takes my daughter two hours to fall asleep, because I have one very sensitive child, my older one, I will point out the next day, like, I'm so sorry that happened. Do we think we know why it happened? Yes, because I was chasing Ainsley and we were jumping on the bed. And and so I just try to help educate them on kind of how this all plays out. And then you might, if you were in my house, you might say I'm a little militant at bedtime. So I'm like, no, no, come on, guys. No, no, don't want to do that. No, I'm not the super chill mom because I really hold that structure for them because we are a family that needs sleep. We are all cranky when we don't get sleep. So Back to your point, like the mental health aspect of it, I know I have to get the right amount of sleep to be the parent I want to be, to support my clients the way I want to support them. And so I want to give my kids kind of that gift that I know I need. And we all do know that the right amount of sleep really increases your, or actually it reduces anxiety, reduces depression, improves your ability to pay attention. What you learn, you can actually, it encodes in your brain while you're sleeping. So I always tell athletes specifically is kind of, why are you working so hard at practice to learn a new skill? If you don't get eight hours of sleep that night, your body's not going to remember whatever it is you learned that day. So really by sleeping, that's how we're protecting the work that we do throughout the day. There's a great talk. This would be great for people with high schoolers. Um, Matt Walker, who's very famous for everything. He's written a great book. Oh, I'm going to draw a blank on it, but you should find it and link to the show notes. The Importance of Sleep, How We Get Sleep, Why We Sleep. Some, it's a great book. But he gave a talk years ago, and I think it was for Google, and you can find it on YouTube, where he talks about how that memory works. And I watched it and I thought every high schooler should watch this because it definitely affected, it would have changed how I handled college. So those all-nighters, to your point, are absolutely pointless. 
And I had a lot of bomb tests after pulling all-nighters. And he did these studies that he talks about where they kept people up. They had them study. They let some kids study less but sleep more. And they've kind of done these controlled studies. And the kids who slept did better because maybe they didn't study as long, but their brain actually processed and retained something. So uh, it's a great talk. I'll try to find it and, e- and email it to you. But it's so true for, I hadn't even thought about the athlete aspect, which makes absolute sense as well. But that's when we retain everything is when we sleep. If you are enjoying this episode and want more mental health support for you or your family, visit us at www.virginiafamilytherapy.com. We're a mental health practice with offices in Lynchburg, Charlottesville, and Northern Virginia. And we provide teletherapy across Virginia and North Carolina. We offer psychiatry, individual, child, and family therapy, and even have some after-school appointments available. Again, that's www.virginia, spelled out, familytherapy.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope people know this, but sleep is everything. Y'all, sleep is sleep is everything for the way that we function in this world, And what I like about what you're saying, Allison, is you're actually teaching your elementary schoolers how to start doing that for themselves. You're incorporating the conversation instead of you being like the sleep police and saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. You're actually teaching them the importance of it so that they can start making those decisions themselves. I mean, in my wildest dreams, which are probably unrealistic, I have this dream that they're going to go to college and do some self-regulation in this area and prioritize their sleep more than I did in college. And one of my children is naturally inclined to sleep. And she talks about it. I'm a good sleeper. I love sleep. I'm so good at it. My older daughter, who's the whole reason I have the business, she will say, sleep is hard for me, but I'm, I know I'm happier when I sleep. I can, I can do it. I can do it. And so I think that mentality, I'm sure you deal with parents that come to you and they say, I can't sleep. I'm up. My brain is you know, spinning and all the things, which there could be a lot of reasons that's happening, as you know. But some of it is we get in our own head. Mm-hmm. I can't sleep. I've had to train myself to realize, okay, I can sleep. Every night's not going to be perfect, but I can sleep. And so my dream for my kids is that I can have them move forward without this fear of sleep and that they can value it, but also not be panicked about it. Like Mm -hmm. I sometimes feel, and a lot of parents I work with feel panic about sleep. Mm -hmm. Well, I like, and you're actually even weirdly talking about the podcast we had last week, which was around kids applying to colleges and the way parents manage their kids applying to college. And essentially the theme for for everything I'm doing right now is kind of how do we stop helicoptering, right? Like you're helicoptering in some way, but you're also giving your kids the tools that that's going to allow them to do it on their own, right? Like we are not fixing our kids problems all the time. If we are constantly fixing them, then they're going to go to college and, and bomb, right? So we need to give them the tools and understanding, even if they're six and nine and it's about sleep. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I do helicopter to an extent. Like I said, I'm a little militant. And I fall into this category of where I I had taken a class from a 
um, behaviorist at one point as part of my mm-hmm. training. And she said, when you think about sleep and young children sleeping, you have to remind yourself that young children are not good governors of their own lives. That's mm-hmm. why we're here. We are here to provide structure and guidance. And so I take that to heart. And that's why I hold myself accountable to providing them that structure. But to your point, I'm not always going to be here to do that for them. So I'm while I'm holding it now, because their little brains aren't equipped to make those decisions, because shoot, I struggle to make the decisions for myself. I am trying to prepare them for that moment where I'm not here and they can try to make some decisions on their own. Absolutely. So can you talk to me about the importance of a healthy bedtime routine and what that and common pitfalls maybe? Yeah. How about that? But let's just start with the importance of a bedtime routine and why we need it. Yeah. So I think I'm actually going to change course on you and start with our common pitfall. And I think this has happened. It's my pitfall. I think it's the pitfall for so probably many in your audience, including particularly going into your middle school and high school age group is the stinking screens. So they are very disruptive to our sleep. And so for the little kids watching TV or screens or using your phone, or even sometimes people say, well, I'm, I'm having them watch some bedtime story on the iPad, good intentions, but those screens are very disruptive to kids sleep. And I, at some point in my Wait, can I ask a question about that? Is that just, so I hear iPad and I'm thinking, oh, they're in their bed. What about just like screens in the living room where the whole family is, you know, maybe watching Lego Masters as a family activity at the end of the day? What about that? (laughs) So I usually say you want at least 60 minutes for the young kids without the screens, because what the screens do is they kind of mess up when your body's going to release melatonin. And so it can delay it. It can shorten how much it releases. You can have a lot of effects on the melatonin. However, I also want to point out that everybody's sensitivity to this is going to be different. So one of my kids, my kids are very extreme in all categories, which I think has made me better at what I do. One, the one that could go run two miles and go right to bed is the same child who could watch screens and go right to bed. She's just Mm -hmm. not overly thrown off. She's very naturally inclined to sleep. It is there. She doesn't have to work hard at it. My other child, screens are going to mess her up. Being very active is going to mess her up as far as how long it takes to fall asleep. That being said, we also do Friday night pizza and watch The Voice or Amazing Race or something together Mm -hmm. as a family. And so it's fine. Those are the nights though. the next day, my daughter will be like, it took a long time to fall asleep. Okay, well, we do it once a week. It's kind of the choice we make. But if you have a child who's struggling to fall asleep, I would say, tell them you're doing an experiment. I do a lot of experiments with my kids. I said, we're going to experiment and see how this affects our sleep. We're not going to watch shows from the time we sit down to dinner to the time we go to bed for two weeks, and we're going to see what happens. It's not going to be the same. You have three kids. The chances of it being the same for all three of them is slim to none. Mm -hmm. But you want to kind of collect data because this comes back to empowering our kids to know who they are and to make choices going forward. So Mm -hmm. when I have parents who come to me and say, take my kids forever to fall asleep, I say, take away the screens from the time you sit down at dinner until you go to bed. Now, as kids get older, that's tougher. You have computer homework and things like that. So we have to be realistic. But where you can give it a go so you can start to see how that affects your child. That makes sense to me. I know that it's of course our family's like favorite thing to do is to sit down and watch a show just a few nights a week is like, you know, 
because life is hard. Life is busy. And like, it allows us to relax together. And I think you're right. I love the idea of saying, let's try and experiment. I think that's a great way of talking to your, talking to our kids about it because it is empowering them, right? We are learning. And that's our whole point in life, honestly, is to learn. And so by calling it an experiment, you're essentially saying, let's experience, let's learn from our own bodies. I love that. Yeah. And I, this is another area where I'll fess up to my kids. So if I have a poor night of sleep, I know if I leave that cell phone in my bathroom, I'm going to sleep much better. Sometimes I don't do it. I just don't do it. And so sometimes I will tell the kids like, oh my gosh, I didn't fall asleep till 1130. You know what I did? I brought that phone in my bed and you guys, where's my mom? I need my mom here to tell me not to do that. And they think that's so funny. So I think that's another category where we're just not perfect, but I do like to point out even when I mess up just so that they can normalize it because they're not going to be perfect either. Allison, you want to know what I do? I use my phone on my husband's bed. So that when I go to sleep in my bed, I haven't made that brain association. Because I think actually this is a really nice entree into this idea about ritual and habit to prepare our kids for sleep. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I like to have simple bedtime routines. I think if you overcomplicate them, it, it annoys kids, particularly once they get a little bit older. So I just, for my girls who are in elementary school, it's just go up, put your pajamas on, brush your teeth, wash your hands, go to the bathroom, and then get in bed and read. So they'll set a timer, you know, usually like 20 minutes. I have these cool little bookmarks that have a little timer at the top. And so they'll just set their timer, read. Uh, Both of my kids still, after they read, they still like to have me read a little bit to them or a parent. And so we'll do that. So it's like, okay, they read for 20 minutes. We'll read for five. You can absolutely do less if your children are busy. And my kids do that. If we're late one night from sports, it's like, okay, we're only going to read 10 minutes. But we have the process. With my older daughter then, after that we leave, she wants to keep her light on and read a little longer. I give her five more minutes and I turn it off. Another common question I get that your, your audience might fall into is, well, can I just let them keep reading? And they'll eventually fall asleep. You can, but the problem is, is an avid reader who gets into a good book, they could read till midnight. I've had friends who are like, oh, you won't believe it. I found my daughter reading at midnight. So that's another area where I have a boundary for them. And so I just say, you know, 10 more minutes, and then we're going to turn off the lights to let our brain take a rest. But I think reading in a traditional book that's not screen related is good. Another area that I think a lot of parents get stuck in because it, again, it seems so harmless is letting our kids listen to something when they fall asleep. So I love meditation. I'm very into meditation for a bazillion reasons. My kids aren't great at meditation. They don't love it. I am pro meditating before bed if you have a child who's interested in it, but I don't like having kids fall asleep to meditation or music or any other weird sounds other than maybe white noise because when you fall asleep to anything, for us it'd be TVs, podcasts, all the things, it keeps your brain in a more active state. And so I think a lot of times I fell asleep to music as a child. I still struggle to this day to not turn on a podcast or something Mm -hmm. when I fall asleep. So it's addictive. But when I fall asleep in silence, the quality of my sleep is much higher. I track my sleep on a device. It's, It's just night and day. So I experiment on myself and I often report out to my kids on things like that. But 
having your children fall asleep in silence is also good. So as part of your ritual, if you want to listen to music, fine, but then you kind of want to turn that off. So I just say something simple. As kids get older, they have to read for school typically. So keeping reading in there, it's usually good as long as we don't read anything that's going to freak them out. Mm -hmm. And I think when I hear this, it reminds me, essentially, sleep is all about habit, right? Sleep is about the systems of cues that we set up for ourselves to tell our brain it's time to turn off. And really, it's okay to turn off. So of course, we're hunters and gatherer bodies, right? So we are going to be on alert. And so we need to tell our brains it is safe to turn off. And so the way we do that is by creating these healthy habits. So essentially, when the lights are off in your room or in your kids' rooms and they're not listening to anything anymore, they know it's time to fall asleep. That's the same reason why we can't look at our phones in our beds. Because what happens for me is if I'm usually working from my phone in my bed, I start associating my bed with working. So then when I wake up at two in the morning, I'm like, oh, this is where I work. And then I just want to start working again, right? And so the idea is really making our beds these safe places so that our brain knows we can turn off there. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I would also say don't put a TV in your child's room. Oh, yeah. And you know, that when we were kids, that was a big thing is when did you get old enough to get a TV? Uh, so I do not let my kids even watch the screens in their rooms. My one exception would be if they're super sick. You know, if they're homesick, it's like, okay, if I'm forcing you to stay in there, fine, I'll give you an iPad and you can watch something. But other than that, like when they get up in the morning, on the weekends, they're allowed to have screens, fine, but you have to leave the bedroom. So I think keeping screens out of the room helps with what you're just describing of not kind of having their brain associate their bed or their bedroom with screens. I mean, I went as far as to take the TV out of my own bedroom, which my husband probably still has not forgiven me for. But just because, you know, they're so smart. They're like, well, why do you get a TV? I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. a really great point. I shouldn't have a TV. So I took it out of there. But I think really setting them up to that bed is for sleep is very helpful. So let me tell you another pitfall that I see lots of families do. And I used to do this, but I have since learned from my mistakes is So much of a healthy sleep routine is about a healthy wake-up routine, right? So essentially in my family, the way it would go is that during the week, kids uh, don't watch screens when they wake up. But on the weekend, it used to be that they could wake up, go downstairs, and turn on a screen as soon as they wanted to, as soon as they woke up because it allowed me and my husband to, to get more sleep. But what that's done is that during the week, I have to wake my kids up. But on the weekend, they'll wake up at like 6.30, 6 Like they will slowly roll it back because they're so excited about watching screens. And so what we've done is really said, you cannot start watching a show until 7 or 7.30 to, to allow them to get sleep on the other end as well. I love that. And I have a child that is the exact same way. And if I forget to remind her. So we don't get screens in my house Monday through Friday morning. Like we'll do Friday nights when we watch our family show. But I just had to take the screens away altogether during the week because it was just too much of a distraction. And one of my children is very drawn to the screen and Mm -hmm. does not bring out the best in her. So same sort of thing, though. In the morning on a Saturday, she'd be 
you know, up out of bed, down watching the screen. So I love what you're doing. And that's absolutely what I recommend is deciding, okay, well, what is that time that would be more of their natural wake time to allow them to get enough sleep and say, we're not watching screens before that time. Do you do, I know a lot of families do a wake up clock or now that we're talking elementary school, they can see the clock and see what time they can leave the room. Do you, do you recommend that? I love it. And it's funny you ask about that because my eight and nine year old still have the wake up clocks in their room and parents will say, well, don't they tell time? They do, which was a really sad day when they learned to tell time because I much prefer when kids don't know what their bedtime is or what time they wake (laughs) up and they're just waiting for that light to turn. So they can tell time, but I don't want their little brains to turn on to look at the clock. So what I say is if you roll over and that thing has not turned green, one turned green, one turns yellow. Uh, then you know it's not time to wake up and just keep on sleeping and you'll wake up when the light has turned. My nine-year-old recently said, hey, I'm in fourth grade. I want a real clock. And I said, okay, fine. That's reasonable. You know, you can have a real clock. So I got her a basic one. She went about three nights, this maybe one or two weeks ago. And she said, nah, I'm better with the sleep light because now I keep looking at this thing during the night. I'm like, yeah, clocks are the worst. I took the clock out of my own room. Um, so she experimented with it and then she's gone back to her sleep light. So I think they're just a great tool for kids and for the younger kids, like even a six year old, it's like, Hey, you got to keep your body in that room until that light turns green. So Mm -hmm. it can really help provide structure, particularly if you have a child who doesn't tell time because in their defense, they might wake up at 5am and think, well, I wonder if it's time to get up yet. And so having those sleep lights to say, hey, you're going to know when it's time to get up because that light's going to turn green is really helpful for that younger group. So can I ask you this other intervention I always use and you tell me your thoughts? So I always get these families in my room, in my therapy office and even me sometimes, which is they're like, we're in such a bad sleep routine. You know, kid doesn't think they can sleep. I can't sleep. They're in my bedroom the whole night. You know, it just gets messy. We've all been there. And so one of the things that I will say is, you know, it's all about habit and I work with the family to create a new routine. And then this is, this is really terrible. And my question is then what I'll do the first few nights they use the the new routine. I have the parent give them melatonin because then the kid will associate the routine with being able to fall asleep. So they, in their mind, start thinking like, oh, the fact that I took a bath before I got in bed, that's the magic I needed. Ultimately, it was the melatonin. And then we take the melatonin away. Is that terrible or is that okay? Well, one thing with that is as kids get older, a lot of them will think it was the melatonin. So depending on how you use it, people are like, I need that gummy. I need the whatever. So I get lots of kids who are very stuck on well, I can't sleep without that thing. So that's one concern is they are so smart, like you said, and they can quickly catch on. It's, oh, no, it's when you have me chew that thing that I can fall asleep. So that's one concern. Um, Generally speaking, I think melatonin for a few days is probably fine. Melatonin can actually cause night wakings. So if Mm -hmm. you have a child who may fall asleep well with melatonin, you might find that night wakings um, are worse when they take melatonin. It can also trigger nightmares and night terrors. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. And then I absolutely do not recommend long-term use of melatonin because our kids are the experiment of melatonin. Our age group, we didn't get melatonin as a kid. So we don't know 
the long-term effects of melatonin. Oh, I didn't know that, Allison. That's interesting. Yeah, and some early studies are starting to come out because now we have some kids who have been on it and have are in kind of into the puberty years. And so there's some studies coming out that it delays puberty because your body should produce less melatonin as you near puberty. Like there's a natural flow. It's a hormone. So Mm-hmm. You know, it it changes as you go to puberty. And if we're putting it in the system, we can affect that. So there's starting to be some studies coming out that kind of affirm what I have thought for years is like, these are the kids that are experiment, we're going to see what happens with them. And so I really don't recommend long term use of melatonin. And you also risk that if you keep giving the body this help, it's not going to do it on its own. So as well, I mean, it will, but that's why I think it triggers these night wakings as kind of wears off and your body wasn't producing that melatonin on its own. So I think it's fine for short-term resets, but then I would cut it pretty quickly. And I, I genuinely feel like I've seen that in my children and I will get myself in this Um, cycle of being like, oh, this child is so tired. He needs to go to sleep early tonight. I'm going to give him the melatonin just like once a week to just like get him to sleep earlier. But that isn't helping the long-term problem because then the next day he's grumpy. All the reasons that I thought he needed the melatonin, which was he needed more sleep, but then the melatonin makes him more grumpy and makes it less easy to concentrate. That's what the new research is saying on melatonin. So I'm trying to get it out. Yeah, some of that could be, I wonder if he's, it's lingering in his system. And so he could be groggy. Because that's another thing with melatonin is it's not regulated. And so I think it was in Matt Walker's book. He talks about they pulled the melatonin and tested it off the shelf. And they did a wide (laughs) variety. Because, you know, we just walk into the drugstore and buy it. And some had only 25% of what the bottle said. And then some had some crazy amount. I want to say it was like 700% of what the bottle said. And so that was another concern he had brought up is it's hard to actually know how much you, she was, he wasn't talking about kids specifically, but like how mm-hmm. much melatonin you're actually taking. And so, and because everybody's body is going to process it differently, mm-hmm. it almost sounds like your child gets a hangover from it. Like it, yeah, it's lingering absolutely. too long and it could affect how restorative the sleep is. Yep. I think that's absolutely right. This is reaffirming my new decision to not use melatonin at all, really, and really start doing these sleep routines. I think my kids are getting their second wind and I need to push it up a lot, which is going, the balance is that it's going to make other things hard, right? It's going to make them doing chores hard. We're going to have to relook at other, other pieces of our lives in order to make this happen. But I think it, it's worth it for their mental health. And I think with their age group, you kind of say, we're going to do a little experiment here. So I would say, hey, I talked to my friend about sleep and I learned some new things I didn't know because as we all know, parents don't know everything. And so based on this conversation, we want to try some new things and then we're going to talk about it because then I think it helps get kids a little more on board. And then you can find if if one gets a great night of sleep, you can see how it plays out. Like, I love that you got a great night of sleep. You had a better day at school. That test was easier you played awesome in that game. And so just approaching it with your age group as I learned some things, we're going to try it out. It's going to be an experiment would be a good way to go. I love that. Allison, you have literally 
changed my life, I think. I'm going to have my husband listen to this podcast. I fully appreciate it because it takes both parents to have the same understanding, to get the same routines in place. He will be on board. He's a child psychiatrist, so he believes in sleep as well. Where can people find you? Because I think there are going to be a lot of people who are going to need some little simple tweaks in order to reach these goals. So where can people find you? Sure. My website is sleepandwellnesscoach.com. And I'm on Instagram with that same handle at sleepandwellnesscoach. And you have a podcast. And I do have a podcast called How Long Till Bedtime. And what services do you offer? So I do one-on-one virtual coaching. So I help families all over the world. And I also have a newborn uh, online course and then a preschool online course as well. Well, I love how much you know and also how realistic you are and not judgy. I always feel like the sleep industry can get a little judgy. So I appreciate that you didn't judge the fact that I have six people sleeping in one room. (laughs) Listen, we're all doing all the things we can to survive. And there's zero point in judging people, anything parenting, really. I mean, we're all doing the best we can. I fully agree. Thank you so much. I can't wait for everyone to hear this podcast. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to like and share the Active and Connected Families podcast if you found this helpful. And if you or someone you love are interested in therapy, you can find out more about our practice at www.virginiafamilytherapy.com. Again, that's www.virginia, all spelled out, therapy.com. Thanks again.